Our potential is unlimited, but sometimes we need help to get beyond whatever is holding us back. That's when a coach can step in and unlock this potential. In this episode, my co-host Gail Doby speaks with executive coach, Michael Seelman. Michael is the CEO of the Leadership Coach Group and has quite the resume. Over the last two decades, he has served in leadership roles at the White House, FBI, U.S. Department of Justice, and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. His coaching clients have included leaders at notable companies like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and Sony. Michael shares some of his nuggets of coaching wisdom, and in particular, psychological safety. Basically, how comfortable team members feel confronting their leaders with questions or concerns and admitting mistakes. Michael even works through situations with some of our clients who are present during the recording to give real world examples of psychological safety and how to handle tough situations. I just wanted to share a little bit about the story about how I met Michael. Reading cannot be underestimated and how important it is. And I read the book from Marshall Goldsmith, What Got You There, Here Won't Get You There. That really started me on a really good journey. And I'd already read Triggers, which is another one of Marshall Goldsmith's books. And uh, then I went back and reread the, the book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And what I found was that I, my intent was when I did the sabbatical is that I wanted to work on myself personally. And those books really resonated with me. And I made the decision to reach out to um, the company that Michael works with. And he's certified in Marshall's um, methodology. And he's, he also does a lot of other things too. And I'll share his background in just a second. But when I had the conversation with Michael, I said, you know, I'm really interested in doing some executive coaching for myself. And I also wanted to do it for Aaron because I felt like both of us could use some additional personal growth that would help us as leaders of our business. Uh, you never know what happens from reading a book. And for me, it has been so great. And I have enjoyed so much the the things that I've learned as a process of being a part of the executive coaching. I'm actually not coaching with Michael personally, but he suggests another, another coach that I'm working with, Tim, who's really terrific as well. And um, anyway, I just really appreciate you being here, Michael. And I want to share a little bit about Michael's background. I, I think one of the favorite things you just reminded me of is the, <laughs> that you've done improv. And I think that is awesome. I would have, you know, you never know who does improv, but it's such a cool thing that you can do that. We've actually had an improv guy that we've used before for events. Um, so that's really cool. So let me give you a little bit of background about Michael. And I feel very honored that you're taking the time today to talk with us. He's an executive coach. He has about 20 years of helping people and organizations um, lead effectively and accomplish their mission. And he's worked with a lot of CEOs and other senior leaders. And he's helped companies like uh, Microsoft, Sony, Google, Amazon, some of the names you probably aren't familiar with. And over about 20 years, Michael has also served in leadership roles at the White House, in the FBI, the U.S. Department of Justice, and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. He was, always, he was often called to start up high-profile offices and initiatives. And at the White House, uh, in Vice President Al Gore's Reinventing Government Office, he led a new gun violence reduction effort in collaboration with mayors and police chiefs. Um, 
And at the FBI, he was selected as the first global chief of employee communications, coaching FBI director Bob Mueller and his leadership team on engaging with 40,000 people in the workforce on accelerating organizational changes post 9-11 terrorist attacks. Later, as Deputy Chief Knowledge Officer, he supervised the FBI's knowledge management, innovation, data sharing programs, as well as outreach programs to Fortune 500 companies, security executives. Um, at the U.S. Department of Justice, he led teams of FBI, ATF, DEA, and the U.S. Marshals officers reducing violence in the country's most violent cities in partnership with local officials. And he brings a broad base of functional experience, depth of leadership knowledge, and of course, the improv comedy training we talked about to make the coaching engagements powerful and fun. And uh, so this is if you're interested in communication and leadership skills, which I think for all of us, we all need to be working on that all the time. Um, And he's still learning and enhancing his leadership coaching So he has his master's degree from Harvard, and he's uh, CIO certification, which is a chief information officer certification from the U.S. Department of Defense. And also he collaborated with leadership scholars, James McGregor Burns, who is a Pulitzer Prize winner, and uh, Georgia Sorensen, University of Cambridge, UK, and co-founder of the International Leadership Association and Ron Heifetz at Harvard. And he is currently, because he has nothing better to do, pursuing his PhD in organizational leadership with a focus on psychological safety. So, wow, that is unbelievable. (laughs) Cannot believe all those um, different things that you've done. And thank you so much for taking your time to be here today. Gail, I'm really happy to be here. I'm really glad you started with the improv comedy part because the rest of it sounded really serious <laughs> to my ears. <laughs> well, you know, it's only serious to an extent, but you know, the good part is, is you've got some credibility at what you do, right? Yes. So let's just dive in, Michael. I want to talk about the growth mindset mm-hmm. and uh, what you mean by that, because we're going to talk about psychological safety, but I think the growth mindset is a, a great starting point. Awesome. Thank you, Gail. And that's what we look for in uh, leaders that want to keep growing. And and as you said, Gail, about, you know, what got you here won't get you there. That uh, New York Times bestselling book by Marshall Goldsmith is that that's part of that growth mindset is that we can always learn and get better. And uh, I've had all these leadership opportunities or challenges that uh, challenge me to grow. And I still think of myself as a student of leadership, that um, I always want to learn more. And I also try to approach problems or challenges with a beginner's mind, not always, hey, I did that before, I'm going to do it the same way. But hey, this might be something new, maybe we need a different approach. And part of having a growth mindset is to see the gifts that come from the people around you and from opportunities uh, from from challenges in our workplace, that those are gifts. And I can also make a connection with, that's how we also look at it in improv comedy, is that if you if you go into a scene, if, if Gail, if you and I are in a scene together and say, um, uh, Stephanie uh, well, gave us an audience suggestion and said, okay, uh, Stephanie, can you tell us a place, a non-geographic place where Gail and I are going to be in a scene? 
and she said, okay, you're on the moon. And she said, you guys are on the moon. And then we said to Georgia um, in Connecticut, she said, okay, uh, can you tell us something that Gail and Michael are going to be doing in their scene? And they said, she, Georgia said, hey, you guys are making pizza. And uh, Gail and I walked out on stage. That's all the preparation we'd have. And I started going, uh, hey, Gail, I'm a dunza, da, 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 we're making pizza. Woo! And I flip up the <laughs> pizza pie in the air. And I was like, whoops, you know, we don't have as much gravity here on Mars. Hopefully it'll come down. Um, and then Gail, having a growth mindset, would see that as a gift. She could say, oh, Michael, why did you just start off a scene like that? Or she could say, gosh, now I know where we are. We're on Mars. Michael's a pizza maker. And then she can decide to be a customer or could be my supervisor in the scene. So see that as a gift, right? That input that uh, I just gave to the scene. And so that part of having that growth mindset is the things that are around us, whether it's one of our subordinates making a suggestion or pointing out a mistake or a challenge that we have with a customer or a new type of set design we might be doing. Uh, gosh, how can we do that again? We can see that this is a gift. It's an opportunity for learning and growth. And that's then is the key that unlocks, that accelerates our growth to being even more successful as leaders. Mm. Well, I think we should define also the fixed mindset too. You've given the growth mindset, but talk about fixed mindset because I think um, I even find myself in reading Carol Dweck's book on mindset. I was finding myself thinking, hmm, I've got a fixed mindset about a couple of things. And how does that impact how you interact with other people? Yeah, so there's um, there's ways we approach life. And the way our human brain works is we um, things have worked in the past. And so we're like, well, I know that worked in the past. So let me use the same approach when new things come along. And in many ways, that can serve us well, right? It's served us well in the past. Some habits or approaches we had, a mindset we've had in the past have gotten this to this level of success. But what's challenging is to discern when that's appropriate and when that mindset's no longer serving us well. And so that you can open up and say, hey, maybe we should look at it in a different way. Maybe I can have some of my team uh, a loved one, a coach, help me look at it from a different perspective, and then let go of that fixed mindset mm -hmm. when well, necessary. I, yeah. Well, I think, too, what's interesting about that is the fixed mindset is something that, to me, almost says that I don't want to go out of my little box because it's kind of comfortable here. And it's a lot easier to keep doing things the way I've always been doing them. And you're talking about growth mindset, and I think you have to have a leaning toward the growth mindset in order to really be open to other opportunities that might be coming your way that you can't even see if you're in that fixed mindset. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. I think what you're referring there is, is fear. Right? Yeah. So we have <laughs> some fear of getting out of our comfort zone. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned that one of the leadership scholars I had a great opportunity to study with was Ron Heifetz at Harvard. And what he teaches is that there's only so much stress or disequilibrium we as individuals or a system like an organization of people can handle at once. And if we have too little stress or disequilibrium, then we're probably likely to stay the same. If we have a little bit of stress and disequilibrium or, or a medium amount, 
then we like start looking for, gosh, I, I'm uncomfortable. Maybe there's something I need to learn. Like maybe we're not meeting our sales targets or our um, customers are asking for a different type of design that we've never done before. And, and so that might make us a bit uncomfortable. And so it's like, okay, I need to shift my perspective to meet this challenge. However, if we're so stressed or so uncomfortable that um, we get overwhelmed, then we can close down and stay in our fixed mindset. And um, so it's, it's uh, learning for ourselves how to do self-care and moderate our own stress levels so we can be open and shift when necessary. And also to look at our teams to, to manage their stress. We, we're in a, a really volatile uh, you know, business environment where we've had first the pandemic and, and going remote and um, we became public health people, uh, leaders in our own companies. And um, we had uh, you know, a, a severe sudden economic downturn because of the pandemic. Then we had supply chain issues now we have a you know a war going on in Ukraine. Uh, this is the world we live in. Uh, I've seen one quote that says, "This is the slowest pace of life we'll experience for here on out." Uh, so it's wow. not necessarily that it's going to slow down. Um, so it's how do we increase our own ability of self care and um, mindset, mindfulness, things like that, so we can modulate our own stress levels. So we will be willing to go outside our comfort zones and and look at new perspective and do things in different ways when it's needed. Mm -hmm. Well, how does a leader or a team know what to focus on in terms of leadership growth? You can have different types of diagnostics. Mm -hmm. If it's for an individual, you can use something like the, the leadership circle, which I'll ask Gail to kind of talk about her experience in a mm -hmm. minute if you're up for that, Gail. Sure. Um, we have other types of assessments as well. Um, if you're, uh, sometimes we do interviews of the leader stakeholders, like their direct reports, their peers or strategic partners, their board of directors, perhaps, uh, if you're the head of your own owner of your company. Um, and, uh, then we ask, you know, what are the strengths of this leader? Cause it's really good to get that kind of feedback. It's validating and reassuring. And, you know, this is what you should continue uh, then we also ask, where's the growth areas for this leader? And when we do the interviews, um, and then this is a, the Marshall Goldsmith methodology that Gail talked about in the beginning, is uh, the stakeholder center coaching. As we say, not only where could this leader improve, but how, how would you like to see them improve? Because I like to think about that when I'm coaching my clients, they often can get these uh, feedback surveys uh, and they'll say, gosh, okay, this is this is reassuring in this area, it's humbling in this other area, but what do I do about the things where I've been identified that I grow? So that's why I like the interviews because then I can suggest some action items. Like this is what I heard from stakeholders because I'm not following my client around all day, but the people around them said, here's some very specific things. And I, had to, I usually have to pull that out of them. And then we can the leader can consider using that as their action plan. Mm -hmm. If it's a team... To answer your question, Gail, about um, how do you assess? If it's a team, we have something called a psychological safety assessment that can see uh, how the team is doing. So in Gail's company, it might be Gail and Aaron, I think is the leadership team for your company, Gail. And um, 
might say, uh, or you could have your whole company if you have kind of 10 to 12 people in your company and say, how is every person on the team, how comfortable is every person, I'm emphasizing that, every person at asking a question, admitting a mistake, pointing out a mistake, suggesting innovation. How comfortable is every person in doing that in a team setting? And we have some specific questions that elicit that, that's, uh, we can get into more. I can geek out on this topic because that's my, when I'm doing my PhD is focusing on psychological safety. So I'll try to hold myself back. We can talk more later if you like. But you ask that question, why is it important for a team to have high psychological safety? Is what we know from research is that when teams have high psychological safety, asking questions, admitting mistakes, they're really good at learning. And when teams are really good at learning, they're really good at performing, particularly in the volatile type of business environment we're in now, because you've got new things coming at you, right? So how do we, how do we assess uh, what needs to be done? How do we uh, shift? And you want to be open to that questioning, that experimentation, and having that beginning beginner's mind. So to kind of take it full circle back to your question, Gail, we have different assessments depending on whether you're assessing the individual's leader where they could grow or the team where they mm-hmm. can grow. Well, you brought up an interesting thing, and, and the psychological safety is not something that I had really thought about before you and I had a conversation last week. But I get it because in a way, uh, Don, our, one of our coaches, had asked me the question right up front. He said, how honest can your team be with you about um, things that they don't agree with? And I thought that was really interesting. And the first conversation where Don and Aaron and I were on the phone, he actually made a comment about the fact that Aaron was disagreeing with me about a couple of things on the phone. And it was great because she is she does not hesitate in telling me what she thinks. And you want that on your team. And you also, and I think that becomes exceedingly important, especially when you're in the training process with people and you need for them to make mistakes, but they need to own up to those mistakes so that you can help them correct it and hopefully avoid those in the future. So talk to me a little bit about that and how to encourage uh, people to feel that psychological safety. So there's different behaviors that uh, team leaders can do and also team members. It's not all the responsibility, all the responsibility is not just on the team leader for creating a a culture of psychological safety. Um, The team leader can be inclusive in uh, encouraging people's feedback in meetings, asking people to speak up or like what I used to do with Bob Mueller, you know, when he was the FBI director and I'd help prepare him for town hall meetings with the FBI workforce. He's a pretty intimidating dude. Uh, I have to say, <laughs> he's a he's a marine. You know, you say he's still a marine, not a former marine. He's he's a marine. Uh, you know, he's um, prosecuted the Gaddafi. You know, for the Pan Am bombing. Uh, he, you know, is the one leading the charge against uh, Al Qaeda and the 9/11 terrorist attacks. He's a tough guy, and uh, my challenge was try to help him be more accessible to his workforce. So part of what we do is before the meeting, encourage people to speak up and, and get questions and uh, things like that. So there's there's preparation you can do uh, before a meeting to encourage more participation. And uh, then in the meeting, 
uh, you can encourage people to speak up. You can amplify things people say, uh, compliment them on their participation. Um, and so that inclusivity is wonderful. I'm particularly cognizant of one of the things Ron Heifetz talked about. If you want to read his, his seminal book, is called Leadership Without Easy Answers. But he talks about protecting the voices from below. So the people on your team that has have less status. So Gail, if I can use your company again. Sure. Um, so that's great that Erin's speaking up. She's one of your most senior people. And is like, is everyone on your team comfortable speaking up when they have something to add? So for example, uh, on my team, one of the people that are probably has the least status is our virtual assistant. And um, so I include her in our meetings and I prepare with her in, in advance that she'll do parts of the agenda that uh, we try to have her include. So we've, we've got some people on our team that are pretty impressive, like a, a former hospital CEO is one of our coaches. We have a former Air Force commander in Iraq and, and she's you know in her 20s in the Philippines. Wow. And um, so we're just trying to make her feel more comfortable so that uh, she can participate because she's she's taught me a lot of stuff we were just meeting today. Uh, I don't want her to be able to bring her whole self to our effort. And um, so I have to make sure to protect those voices from below from mm -hmm. the people that might have the least status on our team and help them be successful and comfortable speaking up. Mm, I love that. Well, I have a question for you from Cody. He says, does the feeling of being uncomfortable always mean a closed mindset? And how do we help the person who is uncomfortable open up? Yeah, let me ask if, um, if I could, Gail, maybe Cody, if uh, you sure. come on camera. And I always like to be a little more uh, concrete in how I answer. So, uh, Cody, if you could give a specific example, that would be wonderful. And I can give you more, more um, tailored response. Sure. Um, sometimes, you know, in an uh, individual setting, you can tell the person's uncomfortable and you talk around topics. Maybe um, often I get accused of being to the point and a little blunt mm -hmm. and it offends people or they pull back in and they're just trying to give me the answer that I'm looking for, not necessarily the truth. And so that's where it comes into play. You know, if I, or if I'm uncomfortable and what I've learned from Gail and others is I really need to look at why I'm uncomfortable and say, okay, well, let's think this through. So others don't have that skill set on my team. And when I sense that uncomfortable, is that always something that they need to learn or push through? Or how do you get their mindset to start to change or to invite them to kind of be more of an open mindset? Okay. Thank you for giving me that context. That's really helpful, Cody. And let me ask you, and you can say no to this. Would you um, be okay if we spend a few minutes doing a mini coaching session now? Sure. Sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's, let's get going. Gonna, you know, that's awesome. That you're, <laughs> there's some really bravery in going out of your comfort zone. So uh, normally we wouldn't do this with a group setting, but Cody, thank you very much for being brave about that. Um, so I'd start, Cody, thinking about your mindset, right? And your relationship with your team. Um, so uh, what do you think might be causing them to be uncomfortable? Um, I think it's just being a little 
direct to the point. Uh, that's the feedback that I get, right? It's um, and it's not always directly from them. It's from others. It's like, well, sometimes you um, seem to have all the answers. You're confident. You, um, you know, you're intimidating, in other words, and uh, you're strongly opinionated. But I don't necessarily want to, you know, have a confrontation. So maybe it comes across as I'm a little confrontational, or they don't have an opinion strong enough to. Um, come back at or defend their opinion. So I don't, does that help? It does. Right. And you're the owner of the company. I am. Yeah. So you've got the authority, you've got the power, you've already made it. Right. And it's, um, so you can, as I call it, put on your big boy pants and you can shift your style. Right. And so what might you do differently to, to help people be more comfortable? Because it sounds like you genuinely want their input. Yeah, I do. And so, first of all, I state it. I tell them, look, I don't know everything and that I'm open to suggestions that this is, you know, how companies grow and how I grow, that I'm always, my door is always open. In addition, through coaching and Gail's help, I've um, actually made individual appointments to sit with everyone on my team alone Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, when I throw my ideas out, I'd say, well, what's your idea on this? Or do you have any things you'd like to share anything you've been thinking about? So they have some ownership and skin in the game. Um, Outside of that, I've also kind of just built more trust with them by sending them text messages or Slack messages um, saying, hey, I really liked your thought here and there. And, you know, let's implement that. Even if it's not something I would push through, just so they they feel heard and validated, not just through word, but through me acting on, you know, what they want to do. Okay, great. So those, you're you're partly answering your own question. These are things you've already done. Let me reflect back because for those of you that are listening in, you know, just to kind of because we do have an audience, Cody and I now is these are things you might want to do with your team if you're not already. Cody's gotten some really good examples. He's in, he's encouraging people outside the the team meeting showing that he is values or input with, I heard the text messages is also changing the forum because some people are introverts, right? They don't want to speak up in a team meeting, but what I heard Cody saying is he could get that input in a one-on-one meeting. Okay. You don't have to bring it up at the large meeting. Uh, You can do it at a, at a a one-on-one meeting and you could gather your input there is what I heard you saying, Cody. Um, so what could you do in the, and then I, oh, I want to highlight something else you said is, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm fallible. I, I want your input. Um, what what do your team meetings, Cody, look like? Like, um, are they, uh, you know, are they in person or what's kind of the, a team meeting look like in your company? Um, our team meetings happen on Monday morning. Um, there is a form we use where everybody can type in. I have a box with their name on it. So all the clients that they're working on, they can put in challenges um, and, you know, bring it up in the meeting. And what I've told them is, you know, it's broad topics. If the whole group can help you, that's where to bring it up. Smaller, you know, in the weed type things that I can help you one-on-one, I'll, we'll meet weekly on those. And that's the time to bring that stuff up. Um, But it's in person around a conference table. Um, you know, Monday morning meeting to kind of set the tone for our week. Excellent. And about how many people are in your meeting? Um, 
six. Six. Okay. Terrific. And uh, do you usually send out an agenda ahead of time? Yeah, that's that's the Monday morning meeting, and there's an agenda, and they can put in. They have input on the agenda. Everybody has a part of the agenda. Okay, great. So these are uh, great habits that you're mentioning, like inviting people's input on the agenda. And do you you get people responding to your offers for, you know, to give input and typing? Yes. Yeah, that's been very productive to everybody to go around and say. Um, one thing I kind of pick up in Gail's coaching, we do opportunities and challenges. And it, for lack of a better word, it became a bitch session about clients, right, during this meeting. And I stopped it and I said, but, you know, that's like 10% of our work. So what the epiphany, the aha moment that came away last week is we need to spend the first five or 10 minutes just talking about our successes and what's going right. And then the bad stuff or the stuff that needs to be dealt with, you know, it can be put into context. So that's one thing I caught last week was we need to focus more. There's more going right here than wrong and human nature. We want to focus on the problems. So I I think that there's still some hesitation though, to challenge me on the design or, you know, the way things are run. Okay. Um, so let me give you one concrete technique that you might want to use that I use in my own team meetings is at the end to say, uh, do what we call a plus delta evaluation. In, in the military, it's called an after action review. I, I got plus delta from when I worked at the White House in the reinventing government office. So the plus we start with is what did we like about this meeting, about how we, we did in this meeting and then have an opportunity for people to comment on that. And then we get into Delta being the mathematical symbol for change and say, Mm -hmm. what would we like to change going forward in the future about future meetings? That's good. Yeah. And I'm using very deliberate language there. You know, I used to be a chief of communication. So plus what are the things we liked? And Delta, not what did we screw up or make a mistake, but what would we like to change in the future? And Marshall Goldsmith, he kind of coined a term, instead of calling it feedback, it's feed forward. Because why we don't talk about what we did in the past, because we can't change the past. But if we reframe it, and we say, what could we do differently in the future? It's a lot easier for people to hear as input. And um, it's got a really different tone to it. I like that. Does that help, Cody? Yeah, it does. It it does. And I think that the, um, what I'm hearing is just more input. What is working well? What, what is not, you know, and and ask, I like the feed forward thing. That's good. Because you're going to demonstrate that way that you're open to feedback. And then in the next meeting, if you want to hold yourself accountable to it, you publish what the feed forward was in the last meeting and you say you're trying to fix that for the, this current meeting that you're starting. So I do that with our leadership coach group meetings. And I sometimes I admit I didn't do that, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or we didn't do that. But I'm holding ourselves accountable that that's the feed forward we got. That's the delta we aspired to. 
one of the things you did, and I just want to bring it up because I think it's so effective, is that you reflected back what Cody said to make sure that you understood him and you had it right before you gave an answer. And I think just taking that few extra seconds to ask that person to say again, or you say to them, this is what I heard, is that correct? Gives the other person the opportunity to correct and make sure that they understand what it was that was said. Because I think it's really easy to get very quickly into the weeds of trying to answer the question and maybe not even be answering the question the person is asking. Absolutely. And that's a critical skill in coaching is we should be practicing that active listening. I'm glad I demonstrated at least to you, Gail. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, coach teachers would be uh, proud of me. Um, actually, uh, one of the instructors, she's in the, the one who taught me coaching was the head of our faculty. She's part of our team now. So it's really exciting to have her. She's awesome. a master certified coach uh, named Mercy. Um, but that that skill set of what makes a good coach is also what makes a good leader is as like what Gail was just highlighting is showing that you heard them by reflecting back what they heard. And what we what I learned in the White House reinventing government office is listening from not knowing. Like I wasn't sure what Cody was referring to. And Cody, thank you again for doing that. That was very brave of you to to do that. So I just wanted to make sure I was answering his question from I was listening from not knowing. Like I could have assumed he was talking about a subordinate. I could have assumed other things, but I wanted to make sure I understood. And then I reflected back. We call that active listening. Reflected back what I heard him say, checking for clarity. Did I get it right? And and then trying to help. That's great. Well, um, this might be a really good spot, and I'm totally fine with being open about this. I'd be happy to share my leadership circle because this is an example of how to give get feedback. Is that? Do you think that would be appropriate? Absolutely. Okay, I'll share this then. Are you actually going to bring yours up on the screen? Wow, Gail, you're brave too. So <laughs> Kudos <okay>. to you. <laughs> I, it was a very, and I told Aaron, I haven't shared this with our leadership team yet. So everybody here is seeing it first, but it was really interesting doing this. And this is essentially like a 360 feedback that you get from your team members or people who know you well, or maybe not know you well. I had two clients. I had our director of coaching. I had our leadership team and I had two relatively new members of our team and it just happens that my best friend has also been doing some work with us, and I've known her since I was seven. So I had about nine people fill this out for me, and it was so interesting getting the feedback. And um, and so what you'll see is those dark lines are my reactions or my um, assessment of myself, and the green is what the whole team as a group actually gave me their reflection of what I did. So would you share maybe a little bit about this and some things that people could take away from this? Sure. Um, so the, the idea here of the leadership circle is to help leaders raise their conscious practice of leadership. And um, one of our coaches that's working with Gail named Tim, he's very passionate about it. And we actually, you'll see it's written into our vision statement for our company is to help raise 
leaders, conscious practice of leadership. So when you get feedback like this, you can uh, see how other stakeholders and, and the other really diverse group, Gail, that work with you, uh, how they see your leadership. And then what we also try to do in, in this assessment and others is to ask the leader how they see themselves, how they imagine their stakeholders see them. And then um, I wasn't in the session that you had with Tim, but I would imagine <laughs> what Tim asked you about is where there was gaps, mm -hmm. uh, significant gaps between how others see your leadership and how you saw yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, asking you open-ended questions. I know Tim probably did that. He's an awesome coach um, saying, you know, what, how does that land on and what do you think about those gaps? Mm -hmm. uh, and usually when we ask our clients that they're not happy with those gaps, you know, they don't, they don't want to fall short of, of serving their team, of uh, supporting their partners and their board of directors or things like that. And then, and that creates that stress or disequilibrium that we talked about before. You know, like I want to close that gap, right? I want to uh, shift my leadership to be more, conscious in the way I approach things. And then um, I know when I got uh, an assessment, not the leadership circle, it was a different assessment when I served as an FBI leader, uh, you know, it, in case we were dense, <laughs> the FBI color-coded it, you know, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're green in these areas, okay, pat on the back, you're yellow in those areas, um, watch those, you're red in those areas, you know, don't think about asking to become a senior executive unless you fix those. Um, and, uh, you know, don't try to get promoted till you work on those. And it was humbling. I, I had some, uh, red areas when I got, uh, mine and what can be a little bit demoralizing when you just have an assessment is you're like, gosh, uh, I want to get better in those areas. Like the ones yeah. that I, I saw and, and Gail, maybe you felt the same way. If you don't have a coach or you don't have some guidance, at least how to get better, it can just be humbling and demoralizing. Um, I th at least that was my experience getting those kinds of feedback. Mm -hmm. So that's what led me to go more into coaching is I was like, gosh, I want to help leaders that get that kind of data and then want to do something about it. And I want to help them. Uh, I think about the ripple effect of I'm helping that leader. And if they have a more effective and have a more balanced life, I'm helping their family. And then the ripple effect to all the people around them that they touch, their employees, the, the people in their church or wherever they worship or, or, or community organizations. And so um, that's something I'm really cognizant of is, is then that follow-up work as they, they do the hard effort of trying to close those gaps, like between, in this case, a leadership circle between the, the dark line and the, the green areas. Mm -hmm. Is that helpful, Gail? Yeah, well, and I wanted to just share my opinion on this. And to me, it was, uh, and it, it can be intimidating. And I think as an owner of a business, if you have a leadership team, you first want to do it yourself so that you can see how it's helpful. And then from there, that paves the way for your team to also do it. But the purpose of this, we want to do it with our entire leadership team. But for me, when I looked at this, I said, oh, that's really interesting. To me, it was curiosity. And I wanted to see how other people saw me versus how I saw myself. And the areas where you see the dark line and then you see a big gap of white, 
it tells you that the distance between is your blind spot. It's what you're not really seeing accurately about yourself, which is really helpful because, for example, um, systems thinker, I was, I rated myself pretty high on that, but they didn't rate me so high. I was kind of down in that lower uh, section of the, of the, grid, which was fine. And it was it, that gives me the opportunity to go back to the team and say, tell me more about that. And how, uh, what do you mean by that so that I can understand and I can figure out ways to improve how I'm viewing myself in that area. The other thing that I thought was exceedingly um, valuable to me was to see how hard I was on myself. And I know a lot of you really well, because I've done a lot of coaching with the team or the people on the call. And I think a lot of us are really hard on ourselves. And I've found that in many cases, if you look at the lower half of the circle, um, you'll see that I had a lot of dark lines that were outside of the green lines. And you don't want to be where I was um, showing myself. You really want to be more of where you're seeing the green lines. And so it was very clear to me that I was exceedingly hard on myself in my evaluation. So that was helpful for me to get a better sense of how others perceive me and um, and super helpful to know that, okay, well, maybe I'm not doing so badly here. So <laughs> for those of us that aren't very kind to ourselves and we tend to be have negative self-talk, this this told me a lot. It was really useful. So do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. Um I want to um, highlight that you were talking about the judgment of yourself. Yeah. And that's human nature, unfortunately, mm -hmm. is that uh, we often can be very judging of ourselves. And when we're judging of ourselves, we can also be very judging of others around us. And um, in working with women leaders in particular, there's a, there's a book where Marshall realized that his book had a gap and he partnered up with uh, Sally Helgeson, who's an international women's leadership expert. And uh, she said, hey, you know, do you have a lot of men clients, Marshall? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, it shows in your book, <laughs> you know, because it doesn't really always apply in the same way to the women leaders that Sally's work with. And then so they collaborated in a book together called How Women Rise. And I, and I noticed we have a a lot of women leaders on yep. this call. So I'd encourage you to take a look at that, that book, because one of the habits it can be is having that um, judgmental uh, evaluation of ourselves. And it's, um, if I can say, it's like, it's kind of like cultural programming, at least in this country, um, how we program, I'm doing air quotes here, uh, uh, women culturally as to, to be, um, it leads to being judgmental of, our, of ourselves if you're, mm -hmm. if you're a woman and um, more so than men generally. And so that's something that can hold women back in their performance or in the workplace. You know, it, it could be, you know, since they mostly we got owners on this call, maybe you've overcome that, but there might be people on your team that are still struggling with that. And, uh, so men in general, um, again, I'm generalizing and speaking about U.S. culture, uh, we, we might uh, look, look at a promotion. Like I was asked to be 
as, as Gail mentioned, the first global chief of internal communications. Now, um, if I had been raised differently, I might have said, gosh, who am I to be the first global chief of in internal communications FBI? I hardly know what that means. But what I said is, okay, sure, I'll figure it out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll rise to the yeah. challenge. I've got some of the capabilities. It was actually, uh, uh, my boss was a woman who asked me to, to apply. And, um, but some sometimes women leaders might say, uh, I'm not qualified for that. I haven't had that job before. And that holds them back from promotion. Because if you have had to have had that job before or done that role before, then how can you get a promotion? And um, so that can be some of the challenges when we're self too judgmental of ourselves, it can hold us back from growth. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I've worked with some of my women clients about. I've seen sometimes that I haven't studied this in analytically in my PhD program, but anecdotally, I've, I've coached over 150 leaders. When I look at the surveys, uh, women leaders, uh, my clients tend to evaluate them more harshly, evaluate themselves more harshly than their people do. And their people score them higher often than they evaluate themselves. And I'm like, I, so I spend extra time. I was like, do you see that? How well people think of your leadership? And I personally think it would be great if we had more women leadership in the world. Like if we had more Jacinda Arderns, who's the prime minister of New Zealand, if we had more world leaders like hers, I don't think we'd have this war in Ukraine right now. Mm. Um, so I think there's a role for uh, women to be stepping up and exercising leadership. So it's just kind of uh, owning that and believing in yourself and just looking at, as, as Sally said, she learned from Marshall from their collaborating on a book is just to, if you make a mistake, just say, oh, well, you know, you're gonna try to do better next time, but you made a mistake, right? People make mistakes. If, if, we're, if we're doing, then we're not gonna make mistakes, perhaps if we're doing super easy things, but if we're challenging ourselves or pushing ourselves, we're gonna make mistakes and that's okay. Just say, oh, well, learn from it and move on. Well, actually it's a problem if they don't make mistakes, right? Because yes. that means you're not trying hard enough. And you're not putting yourself in a position where you're pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. Therefore, you're not going to grow as much. So um, I'm all about being okay with people making mistakes. I make them all the time. I've cost myself and my company a lot of money over the years. And if I didn't treat my employees as being okay for making those mistakes, then they wouldn't have that psychological safety you were talking about. Because you have to be willing to let them make mistakes and pay for that cost and just try to help them not do it again. And also for yourself <laughs> when you do it. Okay, so Cody's asking, is the assessment something you would suggest we do for each team member? So there's uh, different kinds of assessments. We really like to kind of have a meeting with you first and here are the types of challenges. So Cody, since we had an opportunity to talk with you in particular and the scenario you described, I think a psychological safety assessment might be good for your team for what mm -hmm. we talked about so far, because that seems to be one of your goals is to have a, a team that's more collaborative and speaking up 
Um, so that might be an assessment depending on what your goals are for, for your particular team. This uh, assessment, that the leadership circle that Gail's talking about can be, it has a, both an individual component that Gail had so far, and then I hear your desire to have other team members that then can also say as a team where our growth areas are and where we can work. So the leadership circle has both tools as an individual and as a team. Yeah, that's our plan for the, the year is to make sure we have everybody on leadership to do it for sure and use that as a way to grow us as leaders so that we're more effective and also more effective as a group. So, yeah, there's I am determined for all of us to learn a lot and grow a lot this year. We have a fairly seasoned team that's worked together for several years, and it's always good to go back and look at how you can grow and also have, bring an awareness to what you're doing that could be improved for sure. So how has being a coach changed you as a leader? Yeah, so I, I think back, um, kind of like to talk about that transition in my life. I, I have always been interested in leadership, at least since I've been an adult and the, the study of leadership. And I loved coaching and mentoring my employees. And I remember there was this time where I had, I was like, I had these employees from several jobs ago, like former employees of mine, they would call me up and ask me for help. And I'm like, you're not my employee anymore, but I loved helping them, you know? And, uh, and they kind of asked me to help them think through different scenarios. And I was like, wow, I could make my avocation, my vocation. Mm -hmm. Uh, things that I love doing, and I, I like working with Director Muller and, and other executives on their communications and their leadership. And then I was, uh, in 2017, we got a new president of the United States, um, and uh, I didn't want to be part of the government that he was at the head of. And uh, I didn't particularly like where I was working. And so I thought there's there wasn't as many opportunities for me to do good um, in government with him as the president. And so I decided to strike out on, out on my own and to make that avocation my vocation and start this company. And um, one of the things I noticed that when I went through my, you know, I had been advising, consulting on leadership and, and communications, but when I did my formal training, I was talking with the admissions person and they said, you know, we had this one person that went, went through and their spouse saw such a change in their partner that they wanted to get coach training too. Not that they wanted to be a coach, but just that they wanted to have that same change. And I was like, gosh, not only do I want to help people, but I want to be a better father and I want to be a better husband. And, um, you know, I had been coming from a, pretty harsh environment at the FBI. And being a coach helped me be much better at working with our teenage son, um, asking him open-ended questions and things like that, not trying to tell him or give him advice. And, um, you know, so that was one of my motivations also to be a better family member and, and to help others. And so it's it's led me to being asking more open-ended questions, to being more patient, and I hope you can ask the people around me being less judgmental mm. of them and of myself. Mm. Yeah, all good things for sure. 
So how about the pandemic? Talk about that and how it's affected you and maybe your clients. Yeah, so for the pandemic, um, initially it was, it was really hard in the coaching industry because um, businesses didn't know how far the bottom was economically. And um, so a lot of them said, okay, well, we'll cut travel because we don't want anyone traveling during a pandemic. And then the next thing they looked to was training and professional development. Ironically, that was probably when their leaders could most benefit from coaching was because it has, un, you know, once in a hundred year pandemic and having to shift from many leaders from being in person to leading remotely when people were scared about, they didn't know how, you know, how it affect their loved ones. So it was, it was harsh on the uh, coaching industry, but what uh, my, one of my colleagues and I who now were um, collaborators in the leadership coach group, Jerry, she and I started doing webinars for leaders for free and saying, how do you now lead that you're, you one day you went from a workforce in person to remote to people that are scared about their own health and their loved ones? How do you reassure them? How do you go from being a manager to a real leader and, and give them that reassurance and support and, and uh, that growth mindset of, of flexing your leadership style? So we had really popular webinars that we did at the very beginning of the pandemic because I had led remote teams before and I had been on the FBI's pandemic flu task force. I had been part of the team planning what the FBI was going to do if we had uh, an outbreak. We were thinking about a different um, pandemic uh, possibility when we first prepared, but you know, it ended up coming a few years later with a different virus. Um, but it was it, it affected my thinking, so I was able to help right away like that because I'd already gone through that thought process. I was instead of sense making, like trying to make sense of what's going on, I was in a unique position of to be sense giving to help others make sense of what was going on in the world, and so that's how it affected me personally and our clients. We had to help them shift of how do you engage with your employees differently when they're in a remote environment. Um, some of them, our clients have, are not going back to the office. Um, they're, they're just doing away with, uh, uh, you know, an office. And so we help them through that. A lot of people get more burned out during the pandemic because they're not getting as much feedback from their bosses and they were worried about losing their jobs. So they were working longer hours and, um, and people are tired. So one of our new offerings to help with that is positive intelligence which is a mental fitness boot camp about how to work on our own mentality um, using lessons of neuroscience and mindfulness. Uh, I'm going through the course right now that uh, Jerry and one of our other coaches is teaching, and I'm finding it really helpful for me. Mm. Yeah, that is so fascinating. Well, you mentioned two terms that we hear a lot, but we don't necessarily hear great definitions of what they are. So how do you describe and define manager versus leader? Hmm. So a manager, I think of as um, the tasks in a business and um, which are, it's, it's not an either or, right? You need those mm -hmm. things to happen. And uh, to quote, quote Heifetz again, when people are looking at authority figures, think business owners in, in our case today, uh, people are looking to you for direction protection and order. So the direction is a lot of the management things like um, 
what what's my task here? Uh, who are our customers? How do I get paid? You know, uh, what? How do I? Um, how do especially if they're a new employee? You know, what what's my job entail? And so that's direction. Protection is um, how do I? How do you like uh, be a heat shield from maybe some of the volatility around us in our our business or things like that? And order is you know they can I can function in my environment. So those uh, a manager can can help with a lot of those things. A leader sometimes actually frustrates those things, and um, it'd be setting a grander vision, putting a challenge out there, um, helping you know you want to do it in a way that's sustainable. Kind of think of the conversation Cody and I were having about asking open-ended questions and being compassionate for the challenge you're giving uh, so you can help people through that change. And so it's, it's, sometimes these roles can come in, in conflict and, and what people might be looking to you for as an owner um, in, a, in the CEO or president of your company for that direction and protection order, when you're challenging your team to think differently and grow, it might be uh, going against their expectations. So it's good to modulate how much you're asking of them so they don't reject you or try to assassinate the messenger. Mm -hmm. You've got a few people on here who are relatively new managers. And how are some of the things you talked about today applicable to them? Or what are some suggestions that you could give for them to apply that to what they're doing? So start with the compassion for yourself, kind of like um, Gail, you and I were talking about, mm -hmm. is to try not to be so judgmental of yourself. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to learn. I, I started as a, a supervisor at a very young age at the FBI when I got that position of the chief of internal communications. I think everyone on my team was older than me, if I remember correctly. And everyone, uh, half of them had been a supervisor longer than me. And uh, so it was, I had to say, okay, how can I make that opportunity a strength? You know, I asked them, I was like, you've been a supervisor. What do you recommend that I do? What do you, what's your, what's your suggestions? And so be open to learning from, you know, being part of this network that Gail's put together. This is a great, much more experienced owners you can learn from here. Uh, maybe you can ask one of them to be your mentor. You can use Gail's company services to help you grow. But just be open to that and be um, accepting of, of that you're going to grow as a leader. I I went from being this uh, chief of internal communications where I was like, oh, okay, I'm not totally sure what that is. Let me get the book and read it and uh, go out and ask others to um, going to conferences. And then at the end of four years, I was the one speaking at the conferences and, and training other chiefs of internal communications. So you, you can, if you're open to learning in a way that you don't have to put yourself down as you learn. Mm -hmm. I think too, one of the things I would suggest is being good about asking questions to get feedback from the people on your team. And I'm, this is something I'll be working on quite a bit for myself, but I think it's really good as leaders to be able to say, um, this is an area that I see that I need to work on. Would you just give me some feedback occasionally and let me know how I'm doing? Am I doing better or am I doing worse? We do this in our leadership quarterlies. And I think it's really helpful to be open to that feedback from your team so that they are starting to get in the habit of being honest with you about 
what they're observing and how they're feeling about it. Yeah, absolutely. That goes back to the beginning of our conversation, Gail, about the growth mindset Mm -hmm. and seeing that feedback as a gift. Like we talked about the improv comedy scene. You know, it's it's wonderful to see that if you get feedback. and, And again, don't let that dissuade you from being in management or being a leader. If you hear that you're not perfect, it's okay. No one's perfect. None of us are perfect. <laughs> We'd like to think we are, but uh, yeah, I am corrected all the time by, by our leadership team. <laughs> yeah, just be careful not to set that as a goal, right? Yeah. Because, right. Um, you know, you can have a, a low, very low error rate to be your goal, but you're also probably going to have very few wins. Mm-hmm. Well, that's well said. Yeah, it goes back to perfectionism. You can't if you shoot for perfectionism, that makes it pretty miserable for you and for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to open up so, for everybody else to ask some more questions. We've been just having a chat with Michael about psychological safety and about doing assessments for your team and also about leadership versus management. And um, I'd love to hear your questions and maybe some if you're open, if you have something you're working on with your own team, if you would like to share it with Michael, we'll put him on the spot and see if he can help you with that. Yeah, happy. Can I also comment on one thing? Just sure. Gail is um, already. I can tell that in this community, like the the Cody participating, you sharing your leadership circle. At least what I'm seeing is some high psychological safety in this group. Right? Um, if people are willing to be vulnerable like that. That's another thing we can do as leaders. Not to be careful about it, right? They don't want to, can't always be vulnerable, especially like where I worked in like the FBI, you know, um, he's kind of tuned to the culture and, and what people have, but that demonstrating your own vulnerability then allows other people on your team to be vulnerable and admit mistakes and grow. So I'm sensing that from our team so far here, Gail. So I'm impressed with the culture that you and others have created. Well, I think it's co-creating a culture, and it's one of the things we talked about. We have people sign NDAs, but it's really more about how people show up for the group and their willingness to help and support each other. So I think it's partly the the people that are here, and um, we could do without the agreements (laughs) in most cases. Those are just safety nets, but to me, it's really about who shows up for this kind of work because it takes. it is not everybody that's willing to do this kind of work. L.A., I know you're a pretty new manager. So, L.A., do you have any questions that you'd like to ask as a relatively new manager and leader? I don't think so. It was really good just to hear kind of a different perspective, um, a lot of new stuff that um, we haven't heard uh, from you. But a lot of things that I've been, you know, just with coaching from you, being at boardroom, um, kind of just that repetition of certain um, aspects plus then the books that we've been reading. Um, so really just trying to process it all and try to make it, uh, try to digest it in a way that we can present it to the team and actually make it work and kind of implement it in the office. Cause you know, I'm not alone on this one. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I hear you, LA. And and one of the things I would encourage you all to do, especially if you're younger leaders on a team and you've got owners that are running the business like a, a me, 
is to encourage your people who are direct reports to you to be open and to challenge you and to ask you questions and to give feedback because if they if you don't ask for that that's one thing but the other thing i think is equally as important is to manage up and this is a philosophy i've had for years and that is that your job as an employee and as part of a leadership team, if you're a leader, you need to also manage the people who lead the company. So you, if you do not give uh, feedback to the owners of your companies, then you're missing out on a really valuable exchange of uh, feedback and honesty that's really necessary. Um, it, it involves some trust, but it also, um, is important because we as leaders often have blinders on and we don't see what you see. And so we need to hear from you about what we could do better. Gail, if I could build on that, yeah, is sure. um, not all leaders are enlightened and open to feedback. So one of the skill sets to make it easier for leaders to hear your feedback, um, if you're doing that, LA or someone else, is you can start with a phrase is like, Hey boss, I love to see a little bit more of this or a little bit less of that in the future. Right. And you can frame your feedback in such a way that's easier for them to hear, to not get into that judgmental mode themselves, to not get so defensive. Love that. I, I think Lisa just joined our call too. Lisa, how do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> I've been on it for a few minutes. No, I, um, I, I think it's a really great topic because I was listening and going, okay, how, how do I feel when I get what might be termed negative feedback or, you know, you really, I don't usually get it that way. He's very sensitive about how he approaches me with things like that. Like we say, you, you forgot this appointment. You were supposed to be on this call at two 30 and you ran over with your clients, which is what happened today, because my mind was like I was with a new client. So the, he, he knows I'm sensitive. He knows how much I want to be, you know, a better leader, a great leader, and that he knows I'll, I'm a little sensitive when, uh, you know, he doesn't want to hurt my feelings, but he, he knows that he needs to challenge me in that way or so that I can grow and, and be better. So I think it's really important for the management team to know their employer, know their boss, know what's going to work with them. Because I would say I have other members of my team that maybe aren't that sensitive. And it goes a lot farther, further when it's framed in a way where you know they're being sensitive to you. Yeah. Oh, gosh. He's right. I, I can do better than that. But it's, it's just important, yeah, for the managers to think about the employer and phrasing it in a, in a safe way, a place where we're not going to feel that defensive and like, well, I'm the owner of the company. I can do whatever I want because that is not the way I want to lead my, my business. But if someone comes at you, you know, that's anyway. I'm rambling a little bit, but yeah, well, thank I get you. What you're, yeah, absolutely, Lisa. And I, I think for me, it's easier if you ask for the feedback, then you're open to yeah. hearing it at that very moment. Right. So the more right. you ask for it, the easier it is to take that feedback. So, yes. 
Can I just add add something sure, too? George. This is George. You know, I when I want to give somebody feed, feedback, I always ask permission first. I always ask them if they're open to it. Yes. And if they say yes, Good. then I'll give it to them. I mean, it's also like when somebody's asking for my opinion, I'm always happy to give it. And I also have to take a step back and, and ask, ask them, do you want my opinion as your friend, as your colleague, as a coach? Like, how do you want it presented? Because I may want to give feedback to somebody and all they want to know is, does my dress look pretty? Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and, and I want to tell them, oh, your presentation was blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, I don't need you to co coach me. I just needed some reassurance. Right. So I, you know, always want to ask for permission first and, and then also ask, ask for clarification second. Sure. Awesome. Thank you, George. Michael, could you share just some of the things that your company could do or help with that we talked about today? Sure, absolutely. So um, we, I didn't expect this, but we actually got into some mini coaching session. I love so it. You, <laughs> you saw that's some of the improv comedy part. Thanks, Gil, for and, and all of you for Cody and Matthew for participating in that. Um, that's kind of in a nutshell what can happen in a coaching session is bringing forward some of the challenging challenges you're facing. Gail also showed, you know, one of the types of assessments we offer. Um, and we like to kind of meet with each of our clients first so you can hear what your challenges are. And then we can suggest certain tools that might be helpful. So whether it's one-on-one uh, -on -one leadership coaching, team coaching, doing certain types of assessments. We talked about psychological safety assessments or leadership circle or stakeholder interviews, lots of different assessments. We like to do some sort of diagnostic in the beginning so that what we recommend fits your particular need and what your goals are. So we like to learn about that. And we also do uh, leadership training. So if you, and uh, uh, we have almost any a module and almost anything you could think of, and then we try to tailor it specifically towards what you think are the needs of your, your company. And um, we also bring in inspirational speakers. And um, if you want us to talk to your team, just one off, we can, we can do that too, remotely or in person or facilitate retreats. So we try to be your one-stop shop for any of your leadership development needs. Yeah, that's great. Well, I can say I have been working with Tim on that Michael recommended since December, and it's been pretty fascinating. And what I love about his feedback is, and he'll be pretty direct with me from time to time, but he can be fairly gentle considering. And um, he will ask me the questions that are hard and really deep that make me understand what my motivations are, how I interpret things, why I might feel that way. And I think it's been super helpful for me. And um, as soon as you have that kind of a conversation with somebody, often you can let go of those things that you've been continuing to harbor for years. When you have somebody giving you a mirror and a reflection back on how you're approaching things. So I, I find it tremendously helpful to have that kind of coaching. And it's almost like having a therapy session, but it's <laughs> related to your business. And so it's been really helpful. 
You're welcome. I I just wanted to say, I think this is contagious too. When you show leadership and you Mm -hmm. show vulnerability and openness, your team can gravitate towards that. Just like you have been with us, Gail, and today. I mean, I think it is contagious. Mm, Thank you. That's really kind. Thank you, Michael, for taking your time today. I really appreciate it. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Michael has a fascinating background and approach, and we love that he was able to talk through some of our clients' issues on the podcast. If you want to learn more about Michael Seelman and the Leadership Coach Group, visit leadershipcoachgroup.com. We'll see you again next week for another eye-opening discussion. As part of our ongoing efforts to support our community of designers, we are conducting the 2022 Interior Designers Survey on fees, salaries, and competing for talent. The purpose of this survey is to help our design community understand the current state of the industry, the individuals who make up the industry, and the challenges you face as an interior design business owner. We want to hear from you. It only takes about eight minutes to participate in this survey. And all you need to do is go to gailw.com slash ID survey. The compiled results will be published this fall and participants will receive an advanced copy of the resulting report. And you'll also be entered into drawings for prizes throughout the duration of the data collection period. We'll see you soon.